So I thought I was the queen of Airbnb. Check the profile. I visited all the places. However, how can I truly be a queen if I have never been a host? Didn't even think about it, y'all. It's time to think about it because my place is cute. Why not share? I know. I got you thinking about it now. All right. Well, don't think about it. Be about it. Find out how you can be a host at airbnb.com slash host. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm your host, Questlove. With us, uh, we have uh, fragmented Supremers. We got Fontaine in the house. What's up, brother? I'm still here, man. What up, what up, what up? We're here. Sugar Steve. Yep, I'm not fragmented. I've never missed a show except the ones you told me not to attend. <laughs> Wait, when did I ban you, Steve? That, that purple round table joint. Oh, you're holding that against oh. me? Yes, but let's move okay. on. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired in the intro. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I will say that um, probably uh, our guests have single-handedly at least changed, and I'm, I'm making this introduction personal. I'm making it about me, not about you or the audience. I'll say that the, our guests today have single-handedly probably changed my trajectory or changed my perspective on how to deliver music. And that's pretty much all I can say. Um, I heard their debut album, and it just cracked my skull. It cracked all of our skulls open uh, in a way that really hasn't uh, really hasn't done that probably since the days of, of Prime Bomb Squad uh, productions of like Public Enemy and Ice Cube, or even the, the Three Feet High and Rising and De La Soul's Dead albums uh, of the early '90s. I'll say that Rick Rubin has taught us on the show uh, that editing is is necessary for smart pop music making, and you know the ability to leave the basic necessities for you know for the most part of that theory that you know with self editing uh, has worked miracles for pop music in the last seventy years. But our guests have done the opposite of that. And they've left no stone unturned um, <laughs> as far as a, a sonic landscape. Uh, their forever classic debut album, now 20, 20 years old, called Since I Left You, is probably, personally, one of my top 10 favorite albums of all times. Um, with over 1,000 mind-staggering samples and sound bites, um, I'm gonna invest. We all got to investigate how this ma- was made. Uh, when we found <laughs> out that they wanted to come on the show, it was 
It was an instant yes on my part. Um, Same here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm just honored they're here to, to share their story with us because I don't even know if I can properly explain to you how important their art is. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Quest Love Supreme, the Avalanches. Uh, we have Robbie and, and Tony. Robbie, what's your last name? Chaita. Robbie Tata. Chaita. 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 Okay. <laughs> Welcome, Robbie Chaita and Tony de Blasi to Quest Love Thank Supreme. you. How, where are you right now? We're, We're in Melbourne. Melbourne. How, how is it over there right now? Yeah, it's pretty good. We had we had like a, a really hard locked-down last year but but we're coming out of it now it's really good we just played our first live show in you know three years on friday wow so what was, was that like, like man? yeah oh it was incredible it was it was so amazing you know just to be with the people again and um you know i don't know it was just it just felt like at the start it felt really strange like oh you know it's a little bit rusty but then you kind of get into it for 20 minutes and you're like, oh, I remember what it's like. And instead of being scared, it's like this joyous experience. And yeah, I mean, we've just missed it so much. So it was so good. So it's hard, like working your muscle memory for what the show was when you, well, with this particular show, was it, was it uh, crafted from scratch or was it the show that you were uh, developing around the time when COVID first hit us? No, it, it was from scratch. So it was a lot. It was like our hometown, first show back, brand new show. Uh, all the equipment too has been like in storage and all covered in dust. And, you know, it was like everybody <laughs> was like. <laughs> Family you know. and friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had a few technical issues that we that we both. It seems like every, like whenever there's a first show, there's always a few things that go down or go wrong. But um, in the end, it was it was really incredible and. We got so much love from the audience, and I would imagine that the the amount of of research that you have to put into your product, as far as uh, your creativity is concerned, that I mean, was this time off with COVID? Was it a total one hundred percent time off for for you guys, or was it just like okay, let's go back to woodshed and create new product, or did you just stop period and just you know kind of see what happens until the world opens it was tough i mean we went we were finishing an album as as covid hit and uh we kind of got that done and got that uh got that ready to go but like melbourne's lockdown we we're in it for like 200 days it was one of the hardest lockdowns in the world and you couldn't uh you could only leave your house for an hour a day Damn. um there was a curfew in the evenings couldn't so go from more 8, than 8 p.m to till 5 a.m you couldn't go outside your house well you guys you did it right <laughs> <laughs> you actually yeah. did it right and you know the world would have actually caught up to you guys and yeah because you know, after some point once we saw your numbers go down and then like a whole bunch of movie productions and a lot of my friends in the industry were going to melt you know going over over there to australia to to new zealand in over new there zealand, because yeah. you guys yeah. were just doing it right so but yeah you you had to be strict with it we had to be strict. I mean, the payoff was like we got to do a show, you know, like now, yeah. you know, and, and things are opening up. But at the time it was hard and like we thought, well, we've got all this free time, we'll be creative. But it was pretty intense and the city was, you know, a ghost town and, and yeah. really it, it made me learn how much that we rely on the collective energy and other people to to feed our creativity. So even though we had all this spare time, like we didn't write a lot last year because 
was just kind of getting through day by day. You know, the lockdown was. No, I hear you. Hard and very uninspiring. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, I still want to jump right to since I left you, but I do because I don't know about <laughs> you guys personally. I do want to know the the origins of 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 the group and of you two musically before you even like what built to that moment. Could you just give us a a, a basic uh, kind of an overlay of what your lives were into creatively, like growing up? Well, both of you were DJs for starters. Like, what got you interested in DJ culture? Like, how did it hit you over there? We actually, uh, well, we grew up in different suburbs of Melbourne and then both ended up in the same country town during high school. And that's where we met and became friends. And we weren't DJs initially. We were like bad punk musicians. Punk punk musicians. <laughs> and we, and we, we say were, punk because we were so bad at playing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was noise, noise. It's kind of like the Beastie Boys story. Like I about to say it's Beastie Boys, yeah. 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 They start off punk and then, you know. That's right. And we, so we were just, I mean, I had no money or whatever. So we were buying old guitars and broken guitars and organs in junk stores. And then we started to find all these old records. And it just sort of grew from there. I was doing it. Uh, a, course, a film school course at uh, university and they had a big studio for all the film scores. Um, and, of course, everybody doing that course wanted to be, like, a famous director, so nobody wanted to do the soundtrack. So I just had the studio to myself for, like, three years and there was an old Ensonic sampler in there that I learned how to use and started sampling all these junk store records and it just grew from there, really. Yeah. So how old were you when you made the transition to... DJ oriented music, like away from punk and more into what we now know as DJ culture. I guess it was like a, a gradual process between the ages of like 16 and 20. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Was there a particular record that just spoke to you that said, like, okay, this is the direction I want to go personally for both of you? Was there like yeah. one particular album that was. Uh, but for me, I reckon it was like some of Prince Paul's productions, the Bomb Squad, the mm. things you mentioned. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Prince Paul. He just remixed uh, Since I Left You. I, I was listening to Since it earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And because, you know, like the, the records we were finding in junk stores were just strange, weird records. They weren't like sort of cool. Uh, like a lot of the beautiful funk and soul records from the States never made it out here, you know. So we were, mm. they were junk store records. And a Prince lot of lounge Paul, music. <laughs> exotica and <laughs> strange stuff like that and and prince paul i think showed us that you know you can use anything and you can make music with humor from from all these different bits and pieces and we were like oh, we, we can do that you know and also we love like the beach boys and and 70s rock and stuff so we thought imagine if we like take his sort of approach but like try and make like pop songs with it and that's how the whole idea began so how did you two meet each other at high school. Uh, we met in high school. I, I I was from Melbourne and at 18 went and moved to this country town where I met Robbie and it was it was a very, very, for the, for the early 90s, very backward kind of place like country Victoria and so it was just like a, a lot of football players and they were all the cool people and stuff like that and... Like so, the music, people who are into music kind of gravitated to each other. So, so um, we kind of started hanging out. And then the first thing I remember about Robbie was 
um, like I was into all types of music, but he played me My Bloody Valentine and mm. that just kind of broke my brain of like, what the hell is this? And I was like, all right, this is this is really cool. <laughs> I, I think I like this guy. <laughs> I think I like his taste in music. And so so from then then on we kind of, you know, just had a few other little small bands that, that we were in and then we both moved back down to Melbourne and started, you know, doing the punk thing just in our lounge room. Yeah. Um, really badly, and and it just kind of grew from there. Did y'all were y'all any of y'all folks involved in music in any way, or what did your your, your parents do? No, I mean my father was <laughs> a, a, print, a printer. <laughs> my mum was a teacher, but I, I did I do remember being fascinated with my father's record collection when I was a little kid, and oh, okay. when he would let me like you know yeah. handle the records, I you know obsessed with the liner notes, and you know he ha- he was like into like. The band and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Joe ah, okay. Mitchell and all that stuff. So single songwriter stuff. That's right. Gotcha. I know that because you guys um, developed early, like uh, pre, I guess uh, what ninety three, ninety four is when you guys first started. So without sort of like culture colonialism, um, <laughs> well, not culture colonialism, but just the the idea of like you know now with the internet. Uh, mm. someone could release something and the entire world get it at the same time. Where, you know, really before 1997, like just, it was regionalism. Like certain parts of the world had certain types of music and whatnot. Now I know for Australia, kind of the inside joke, and again, this is before like the, the really the, the age of the, the internet spreading, becoming law. Like a lot of groups that were wildly popular um, from America, from that were wildly popular in Australia, really weren't that big in America. And I always wanted to know. I, I never got to talk to anyone like specifically from Australia or New Zealand to find out why. Like I'll say that there was a point where like the Jurassic Five, pre Fergie, Black Eyed Peas, uh, Ben Harper, like those acts could damn near sell out stadiums. And we'd hear it about in the United States, like yo man. Do you know the Black Eyed Peas could sell out a stadium in Australia? I'm like, get the fuck out of here! Like, and this is again back when they were just yeah. like a, a club act, like a bar act, you know that that sort yeah. of thing. But what 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 is it? I noticed with Australia, especially for their their embracing of like soul music. Like you guys have that big giant soul festival down there, where you know you guys have this 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 festival for soul music that's sort of like Coachella. But it's just like all neo soul artists, and even now, everybody from Kimbra, like, and again, I, I, I've, my friends have told me that you know New Zealand and and Australia, like, we tend to lump just that <laughs> entire area one thing, but you know, I see this <laughs> New Jersey, <laughs> right? And you guys are like, no, we're not the same, but, <laughs> but uh, there's so many like minded cool artists from down there that were like influenced by a certain type of soul music that's very niche to us here like Mm. what what was the what's the radio like there like what is it that turns you turn uh people on to that particular type of soul music whereas now years later like a lot of these acts are coming out that are like really incredible like hiatus coyote and and uh, i can name a billion but yeah what is it about what was the music atmosphere like? It's a rock culture, I would say, like when we were yeah. starting out. So it's like there's the pub venues, 
you know, there's a very heavy drinking culture in Australia. There's the pub venues and all the bands that we grew up with came through this pub scene. It's like hard rock and roll, like ACDC yeah. and this kind of thing. I guess there's the Bad Seeds, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds as well. Or the Birthday Party came out of that that sort of dark pub scene as well in mm-hmm. in Melbourne. But then something started to change in the 90s, exactly like you're talking about. And I think it was just, uh, it was pre-internet, but people, just just this passion for music that, that wasn't like that. And, yeah. and something just started beautiful, just started to grow. I don't know how it happened. But it, but it was very, very like when we started playing, it, you know, every band we played with was just two guitars, bass player, drums. And so we'd rock up with a sampler and, and the sound people were like, what's this? What do we, what do, we do? And <laughs> right. no one knew what it was. So it was like in, the, in that way we were kind of breaking ground in, in this country as far as like you know, every little festival we'd do, it was like, mm. Every band's the same guitar, drums, everything like that. And then we just have, you know, S900 sampler and some shitty organs that work sometimes uh, and, and didn't. And so, I, so yeah, to your question, it was a very rock and roll um, culture back then in Australia. So the S, it was the, the Akai S900? Was that the, your your weapon of choice yeah. at the time? The Akai joint? Well, yeah, yeah, That was the jam, yeah. A 900? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Because then they came with the 950. The 950, I think that was the one that, like, the premium shoes, the 950. But I yeah. remember the 900. Oh, we were loading We were loading off uh, the songs off floppy disk when we played live. Every song was on a different floppy disk. <laughs> so, so we'd stop a song and then have to load for 45 seconds and just sit there in silence. <laughs> or just try and make up some stupid banter in between. Like How's song everyone ends. doing? <laughs> yeah, again. 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 Gold right. Coast in the house. <laughs> you, you guys and D'Angelo. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> to this day, D'Angelo still uses floppy disk. I didn't even know that. Oh, wow. That, that can, that still exists. I didn't know they still made them, yeah. Do you no, know he, how he has zip drives, floppy disks. <laughs> really? Yeah, we, we had to search the internet to find floppy disks. You for, can't for get down to we the... just did, yeah. Wait, so to this day you still use it? That's your weapon of choice? We we wanted to pull out the old samplers (laughs) for this show that we just did. So we wanted to bring back and and really show how we made the music, but we couldn't find floppy disks anywhere. (laughs) 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 Tony had to order them online and they arrived like two days before the show just in time. Wow. Really? (laughs) We're not not using that. We're we're kind of using computers and now as, as our main backing track so we're not relying on the, the 45 second loads anymore but oh, okay. we use the samplers just to trigger sam- uh, samples during the show because so, that's the way we used to do it we, i mean and it's such a fun you know it's, right. it's a fun way to do it what was the period of which you guys discovered like breakbeat culture and as far as like at, at least I, I would like to think that you guys you know had to put a lot of time in researching like all the sounds and for for you know for your arsenal of sounds uh your drums your samples and whatnot so at what point did you guys discover or at least like do away with uh kind of your rock backdrop and get to what we know is like breakbeat culture i think i think it was like a gradual process and all of a sudden we realized like like i think we had you know all these big sounds and big dreams in our heads but you know no Mm. money and then you start sampling an old orchestral record because a lot of the records that we were finding in junk stores were like schmaltzy kind of like junk like Andre Kostelanet strings and you Mm -hmm. know James Last all that stuff but but we were we could find beautiful little bits and then realize we can create these 
you know, big sounds with, you know, for, for, for two, for, from a $2 record. And, and we gradually realized, look, we're not great musicians at guitar <laughs> and we can't sing, but maybe <laughs> we can invent our own little world um, if, we don't, if we just use samples. And it sort of grew mm. from there. And then, um, you know, a whole bunch of records were coming out, like the, the uh, Dust Brothers produced the, the Dust Brothers record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know there were the early Chemical Brothers records, and all these records had breakbeats. There was yeah. DJ Bonk Shadow. Brothers. He was DJ like, yeah. Shadow. Yeah, uh, De La Soul, and even like the Far Side records, and uh, all these mm-hmm. kind of early hip hop records. And we kind of in our head, you know, it's because we're so geographically removed from um, the rest of the world. You know, we would just get strange little influences coming mm-hmm. through before the internet. So. In some way, weird way, like a bit of Prince Paul, a bit of the Bomb Squad, a bit of the Beach Boys, a bit of My Bloody Valentine, all kind of made sense to us. Mm. And um, it, we just kind of started developing our own sound from there. When when you formed the group, uh, was it instantaneous that you called yourself the Avalanches, or were you just like, you know, DJ Robbie, DJ Tony, <laughs> <laughs> forty nine <laughs> FM. I'm down under. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we had a few we had a few name incarnations before we came up with the avalanches. Mm-hmm. The avalanches um, name was actually on a was a surf rock group from the fifties. One of these bands we sampled and then and we used to change our name every time we played, and that that one just stuck. So. Oh, it just stuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just randomly, you just decided to. <laughs> to Ma- maybe we had a good a good gig the day that we called ourselves the Avalanches, and we went, "Oh, maybe this is an omen. We'll stick with this name." Because <laughs> I think we we had a f- few gigs where we were different names. So, what was the uh, first product that you guys uh, worked on when you decided to form the Avalanches? It was like uh, I think it was a mixtape. We made in the studio I was talking about it, the, the film school studio that we made to send around to various um, promoters to try and get a gig, try and get shows. Mm-hmm. And and then I think they pulled a couple of tracks off that and our friend put it out as our first 7-inch. It was called Rock City. Yeah, I think that was the first release we ever yeah. did, 7-inch record. Yeah, I, I, even even then, like, was your theory, what, what was the theory based on, how to create the music. Um, I know a lot of times, especially with where we are today with hip hop culture in America, you know, and I I won't say that flipping samples, of course, you know, flipping is a way of survival to at least avoid, you know, lawsuits or getting caught out there. But um, I mean, there's, there's definitely a a slew of, of producers that flip just for the sport of it, you know, especially like, these post Jay Dilla times where mm. he could take something, make it so unrecognizable that you don't know it. So, but for you guys, like, were you guys even aware of kind of sample culture, uh, almost being an endangered species in, in the mid to late nineties to the point where, you know, now a lot of the backdrop from America is, is far from that, but were you guys aware of it then? Or was it just, you know, yeah, we I mean, we- well, I think we were aware that that records that were made in that way that that 
were were rare and were and you know to find find them they they would like sort of these gems that would stick out like if a a well made sample based record is just like such a beautiful thing and they don't come along all the time you know but we were we kind of thought no like we're a million miles from anywhere no one's ever going to hear this so we we, we can just sample anything and it's, no, it's never going to matter we were just doing it for ourselves well, yeah. famous last words bro. Yeah, wait Fonte, i was going to say uh it's funny that he said that all, all the way in australia because that's also where i was when i decided to uh play really love because i quite and i didn't understand <laughs> I didn't realize. This is going everywhere. Yeah, yeah I right. thought I was on some like local underground radio station <laughs> that the world wouldn't hear of, and then that shit happened. Yeah, we've kind of got the same attitude to samples of just like, oh, we'll just use it and see what Nobody happens. Nobody will know. No, it's it's quite <laughs> soft in the mix, right? You can't tell. <laughs> okay, so let's let's we're twenty five minutes in. Let's cut to the goddamn chase. How? How? <laughs> right. just, just, that's my first question. Yeah. How? Can you tell us the story of Since I Left You? And it's hard to explain. It's really hard. Even when, you know, that album's so perfect to me that even when I explain to people who are, you know, just casual music listeners, like they're still not getting the genius that every last thing you hear had to be manipulated and and edited mm-hmm. in a way so that it fits melodically, structurally. Yeah. So w- tell us the beginning of how you guys even thought to make this 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 classic album. I think we, I mean, I'll let Tony jump in, but we were kind of doing gigs in these rock mm-hmm. venues. We're using samplers, and our friend Darren would uh, MC over the top, and we had some live drums. Yeah. And then as we got into the studio more, we realized it sounds so much cooler if we just remove ourselves from it, you know, remove our voices, remove any live drums and we'll do it just with samples. And it was yeah. almost like, like there a was bit of a bad beastie boys or something to start off with, with <laughs> yeah. this kind of rapping that was a little bit Dr. Octagon kind of lyrics and ah, know, wow. cool a bit kind of beast. And, and it was, you know, some cool stuff, but then we did, you know, it was like, let's just make all the melody samples and use no voice. Man, how yeah. long was that uh, a process of working on that record? How long did it take y'all to make it? Probably like 18 intense months, but there was like ma- maybe three or four years of like collecting samples before then and mm. finding your way. And then it's almost like there's this, I mean, there's two sides to it. There's the technical side of how you actually make it with the samplers or whatever that we can talk about. But the, the other side of like how you think, how you know how you conceive it or the feeling behind it is harder to talk about it because it's like we just hit this period of a beautiful flow and it was really just a love for music and discovery and when I listen to it now that's what I can hear I can hear like a a 21 year old me just so in love with music Mm -hmm. sampling and, and discovering strange old records that 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 I think that joy is just still what people can is infectious you know it definitely comes through yeah, it definitely came through for me. I think, you know, at the time when, when I discovered you guys, this was uh, when my band, Little Brother, we had put out our first record, The Listening. And uh, Amir, actually, had listed his, uh, I guess, the top albums he was listening to at the time in uh, in Rolling Stone. And so he listed, like, like, 50 Cent, Little Brother, and then, you know, The Avalanche since I, since I left you. And I was like, all right, if he... 
if they on the same list with us, I know I shit banging. So these motherfuckers gotta have some. <laughs> so I'm like, so, so I'm like, all right, well, that's how you I discovered got, it. <laughs> straight up, yeah. I mean, oh, I heard of them. That was how I actually listened to them. Like I had always seen, but like you said, you know, y'all kind of the rock culture and enjoy. So I just thought they were like a rock band. I thought they all was kind of like the Strokes or like right, right. that was around that time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I thought it was just that kind yeah. of you know that that rock revival shit that was popping at the time. So I was like, all right, this is just another rock band. But then I heard the album and I hadn't heard anything. I just went into it blind. I was like, all right, well, let me check it out. And man, that shit blew me the fuck away. And the thing about it, like up until that point, you know, introducing by DJ Shadow. I mean, we grew up on Bomb Squad and like Prince Paul and all these guys, Dust Brothers, all those guys doing that kind of collage and pace stuff. But um, when I heard introducing, I was like, oh, wow, like this is amazing. And it was something that kind of took it, for me, made it, uh, it, it felt like y'all really, it made it more emotional. Like that was, I think, maybe the first time sample-based yeah. music, instrumental in that way. I was like, man, this is really emotional. But then, that was when I heard introducing. But then when I heard y'all shit, and that damn three, uh, two hearts and three, four times. Three, four times, bro. <laughs> bro, I played that shit, man. I played the MP3 tags off that motherfucker, bro. Listen, <laughs> I, ran, I, ran, I ran that record in the ground, man. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the thing, you know, when Tony, you were talking about just kind of that spirit of just, you know, the, the, of, you know, that discovery, the thing that I always liked about all, all you guys' records is that it, the way you use the samples, it doesn't feel like in kind of just a, a, a bastardized way. It really makes you want to search what you guys use. It makes you more, for me, just as a lover of music, it just made me more curious to know more about the stuff you guys use. And like even like with Since I Left You, you know, the way it starts is, you know, since I left you. But then at the end, when you bring back the, just can't get you ever since the day I met you. Yeah. It's like a story. Yo, that, <laughs> yeah, it's a story. I was like, yo, that shit is so fucking dope. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so like, how do y'all plot all that shit out? And like, I know the sample you say you use was like the S, you using the S900. Were you tracking it on tape? Was it uh, like, was it Pro Tools at that time? Like, how were y'all storing no. all these ideas? It was like, S900, and then we got a S2000, which had more memory. Akai mm -hmm. S2000, we were like, oh, this is, we're, this is insane. We're going to be able to do anything with this. No stopping this now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, and by that, I think by the time we were making Since I Left You, we had a zip drive for the two Akai Yeah, the Iomega. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Get the fuck out of here, yo. This, this is. Yeah. I know. But it was literally just the, that and and a, and a shitty old turntable and two dollar junk store records and motherfucker what? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That the limitation is is what is beautiful because then that's it's what just drives the ingenuity. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and then we had a, a op, there's an opcode program called Studio Vision that was a sequencer. It didn't have any audio, but that ran MIDI into the samplers, and so that's how we could sequence the samples. And it was all done like that. And if I came to work again in the morning, like there was nothing on tape, no Pro Tools, so I would have to load it all up again and to hear what the song sounded like and to remember, you know, or if I wanted to burn a demo, make a demo, I'd have to like bounce it, burn it onto CD, put it in my CD Walkman and go for a walk or something to have a listen to it. Like that oh. where we're at, yeah. I, I was going to ask, do you have all the discs saved from that album or was it just like once you track it and once it's on tape or once it's 
you record it, then you just unplugged your machine and that's it. You don't save the samples. You don't any of those things. Like, is, is there a fl- think, like if I were yeah. to ask you, like, could you get the, uh, the either diners only the stems or, from whatever? Or, yeah. yeah. Pablo Cruz. Like, could you actually get the floppy disk? Some of them I've got, I've got some and I've got, I've kept most of the records when I, I sold my record collection, but I kept all the since I left you ones. And we, and we just found the stems recently from, because uh, we eventually tracked it to an early version of Pro Tools when we went to like a proper studio. We were like, wow, this is like. <laughs> <laughs> and they had like about four different engineers helping us to like get it from this, from out the back of our samplers onto recording into Pro Tools. And then we mixed it from there. So we've got those stems and some of the, some of the floppy disks. Listen, black representation is essential. If I hadn't seen and heard certain black women in radio, I wouldn't be in radio. Women like Robin Breeden, Candy Shannon, Michelle Wright, Deanna Williams. Women owning radio stations like Kathy Hughes. Listen, the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. Word. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
Okay, so what is the what is the accurate number? I know that you know sometimes these stories can be uh, exaggerated. How many samples do you believe are on that album? I've got no idea. I reckon there would be <laughs> like I think I figured it out once by working out how much the S five thousand could store and the, how many samples in a program, and because um, it was every every zip. Every song was, you know, the sampler memory was full. Mm-hmm. So it was probably like around 3,000 because all the little drum hits and little bird noises. All Money. The sampler, yeah. Yo, yo, I will say, man, when y'all use the uh, the part that got me, because like, I mean, I listened to the record, I was like, okay, this is dope. The part where I realized, I am like, okay, they know what's up. When y'all use the Raekwon, the, yeah, the exactly. yeah. Avalanche, Avalanche rock, and I was like, yeah. oh, shit. I was like, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. That shit was so dope. Yeah, so your guess, like I've read 900 samples. I've read 4,000 samples. I mean, of course, for the legend of it, 4,000 samples is a way better thing. And I believe, <laughs> you know, I believe anything. But yeah, baseball guess, baseball estimate. I think two, two to three thousand. Like, like when you consider every little Jesus. drum hit and everything, because mm. it was, it was a lot. So okay, when you're when you guys are at least at the, let's say the ninety percent mark. Let's say that you have fifteen songs down already. As you're creating this album, in your mind, are you like, there's no way in hell we can ever clear this or sell this to the outside world. Like, I mean, at this rate, is it just a passion project to you? Yeah. I think we, we yeah. Miss, but, but I think we were just thinking not even of the legality of the whole thing. We were just like trying to put together this amazing thing. And David was just kind of the record company. You do your thing and just get it out. So it was good for us because we didn't have that limitation. Whereas now we're, we're, you know, we have to be more aware of samples we use and, you know, clearing and all that kind of stuff. But back then it was still a little bit of a, a you know, a little bit of a, a more of a free-for-all, I guess, would you say, Robbie? Yeah, but also nobody knew who we were. Like, yeah, we, didn't, good... we didn't think anyone would ever, you know, it would get a wide audience. So in that way we were free. To do whatever to, to sample whatever we wanted, you know, like we kind of just didn't really. Like I think as we as it was growing, we knew we were very passionate, and we knew that it was this beautiful thing, but we certainly didn't expect it to be become what it was. So we weren't restrained by thinking that you know we have a high profile and people are gonna a lot of people no. are gonna hear this mm-hmm. record. And uh, we've done an EP before that as well, and didn't clear one sample from it. Yeah. So it just kind of like didn't care. Must be nice. <laughs> Man, listen. All right, so we can't can't do that anymore. Yeah, when I was going to ask, so um, when people came to y'all about you know samples and stuff, what was it like? Were they like honored? Were they like like fuck you pay me? Like what was the what what was the feeling like? Back then, it yeah. was it was pretty nice. I mean, some people didn't even know what sampling yeah. was, or you know, we would track down someone who they'd inherited like their grandfather's um, catalog, you know, in a will, they didn't even know they had it. And we would find them and say, Hey, you know, you own this music. And, 
Um, so, and some people just were like a flat out no, like Rogers and Hammerstein and people like that. Um, oh, so there's songs that did not make it? Samples, samples that didn't make it, yeah. And then uh, other people like John Cale, like he was super cool because like uh, that song, Two Hearts in Three, Four Time, it was going to work out that like there was five main samples and they all wanted 20% each. So we were going to get nothing. And uh, and John Cale was like, no, no, we the sample owners should all take a little bit less so the dudes that made the song can get a little bit too. And so What the hell? What? That's what's up. <laughs> wait a minute, yo. No, wait, that never happens. That, that, never. It's probably never happened again. It's never happened Dude, again. Can y'all represent <laughs> us, please? Wait a minute. This, this, this never, ever happens nah. in real life, yo. This is being unknown in Australia. <laughs> I mean, I got people that like, come after me for like a snare drum yeah, like, yeah yes. let alone yeah. and want like 70 percent of it that's a snare drum um yeah okay so when you're this this was on uh double xl recordings correct a- xl in uk yeah and a label uh, double xl Modular. i'm sorry forgive me xl recordings so yeah. when you played the final product to your company how long did it take for them to even start the process to clear this because again like i yeah man yeah usually okay the so the the obstacles that i run into are okay say uh i create a song and uh okay i have this situation once where i used hey bulldog by the beatles yeah and they wanted like 100 percent of the publishing which then left no space for like the other things I sampled. And I I've learned I've learned at least in the last 10 years that relationships are key to making these things happen and oftentimes lawyers and red tape lawyers and and administrative people are kind of the the demons of the situation and half the time if you can get to the actual artists themselves then you can you know sort of iron out and make it smooth so again how (laughs) we we had this we had this amazing lady called pat shanahan who i mean she would have been in her 60s or 70s she just passed away recently um so she would clear all our samples for us and and she'd done like beastie boys records and iced tea and all stuff like that so she used to work at ireland records for many years and had a lot of contacts just through the whole industry mm. so when we were clearing a sample she she would be like hey i know him i used to work with him at here or i know so she had a lot of personal relationships with so all these relationships, people okay yeah so so that helped us so much um and and she would just be able to get things over the line for us that that you know, if it was a lawyer or anything or anyone else like that, it just wouldn't have happened. So we were, I mean, we were so lucky to have her. Um, yeah, that record she's a and wonderful the one after. lady, and yeah, she became a dear friend actually. Pat, she was just the most most lovely lady, and I think she she worked with who did she work at before was, Island? I can't remember, but she sort of knew everybody in the industry since like the sixties. And yeah. had seen that there was a niche uh, for someone who just specifically cleared samples. And so I think she left the record label and then the first record she cleared was like the Tone Loke record or something like that. And then she mm. did Ice-T and yeah. then she did Beck and the Beastie Boys. And um, 
Yeah, so she helped us a lot. And then there were other personal relationships like Richard Russell at XL um, helped us clear the Madonna sample uh, in mm, yeah, yeah, I was yeah, the yeah. second track. Yeah, I, that that was to be when even when I heard it in the car. Now my my story of hearing it, I heard that album on my birthday. I was doing a DJ gig in Indiana, and I was born in January, so it was like cold. And um, the guy that picked me up from the airport played it, and um, you know because the, the album runs uh, sort of as a continuous flow, like it doesn't go from song to song. I just thought he was, you know, normally the, when the guy picks me up from the airport, they're always like sneaking their trying to play their beats. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, for compliment them. Yeah, no, no, no. But for real, from like the from the from the airport to my hotel room, I was under the impression he was playing me his shit, and that just that had me wide open. And then, like, finally, he gave me the bad news twenty minutes into it, like. Oh no no no! This is some cats from Australia uh, called the Avalanches. I was like, oh man, I thought it was your shit. All right, never mind. I'm, <laughs> I'm just about to sign <laughs> you, man. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but what wound up happening? I asked him, "Can I borrow the CD so I could hear it?" And like, actually, the same story with Little Brother. When I heard Fonte's thing, like, I rarely have dedicated so much hours so so many like a lot of hours just to listen to product over and over and over again and i just i just couldn't believe it well because you guys worked on and what what you said earlier about how limitation uh studio limitations makes you more creative that makes sense because a lot of my favorite guys like use you know with with uh fonte's group what did you guys do everything on fruity loops Everything was Fruity Loops and a compact. We had we had a compact computer. Yeah, and that and was Fruity the album. Loops yeah. and, you know, I know guys. Cool Edit Pro. Like, that was what we recorded the vocals in. Cool Edit Pro or Sony Acid, like something real mm-hmm. primitive. Yeah. So mm. what I want to know is how do you how do you bend samples to your will melodically, especially back then, without you know the the aid of a MacBook Pro. To instantly, mm. you know, you could do that time stretching and yeah, yeah, time yeah, stretching and like thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. But yeah. how are you able to bend these samples to your will so that they melodically fit the song and with with that primitive equipment? How? I think it comes back to what you're saying about just the, how limitations can be really uh, powerful because it was just like. I just remember going, this this Akai sampler, I'm just going to get really fucking good at this one thing and that's all I'm going to do, you know. And it, so once it just becomes almost invisible, so you're not even thinking about how to use it, you know it so well. And so it was just, just literally tuning samples in the sampler. So, um, you know, you might have you start with a drum beat and uh, kind of a beginning sample and the beginning sample just kind of gets you going. It might not even be there at the end. But then mm-hmm. it's just literally getting samples in tune um, and a whole bunch of samples just on the MIDI keyboard that are living in the sampler's memory and, right. and playing around and then going, oh, that might be a verse, that might be a chorus, oh, I'm kind of stuck, save it, put it away, maybe give it to Tony, he'll see if he can find a sample for it and slowly and slowly the layers build up. So it's just using your ear, tuning samples by ear. So yeah. that is not easy to do, people. Is. That is that is that is not easy to do. Which leads to my next question. So when I asked the Bomb Squad how they created Nation of Millions, 
I, I guess Keith Shockley explained to me that basically the process that they were doing, they would have jam sessions. So the way that the engineer was set up was Eric Sattler had his sampler on his side of the room. Uh, Keith Shockley was probably on turntable doing his stuff. And then Hank would have his bits. And they would start with a drum beat. And when they were satisfied, their their theory was that if you took everything away, like are the drums banging enough? Like the drums have to be perfect. Once the drums are there, then each chef would add their particular ingredient into the the the, the musical stew until it felt complete and felt right. So how how do you guys source or like what's the back and forth or the work process to adding things like you know whose idea was it like oh i got this horse noise over here and, <laughs> or even or even with um even with uh uh the the, the first song on wildflower where the, the kid is talking i don't know if that's a sound bite and you guys manipulated his voice to go right in key with that intro mm. but you know even with the, the 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 wildflower intro like how do you guys how do you guys communicate back and forth like what gets inside the 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 the, the meal and mm. and and also subsequently how do you tell each other that doesn't work like uh okay i, I don't know if that fits or whatever or is it just like whatever works throw it mm. in there i i think de- i mean definitely robbie is the the great producer of of the records and and it's almost like where you know we we used to have all the other members in the band and we you know, have a little sample, you know, loops, a couple of things that would go together or something like that, but then kind of give them over to him where he's putting it all together and, you know, chopping up everything. And, I mean, it's just uh, the, the, what he's amazing at is just doing all the, the layers and um, the incredible production work and, you know, the horse noises and all, all that kind of thing. <laughs> comes yeah, that in. horse noise, man, I was just like, the hell? <laughs> That was because no, no. I heard I was like uh, it was like DJ Muggs and Cypress Hill, and you know that squeal noise he had. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try and make a noise like that, and then I was just watching an old western movie, and there was this horse. I was like, that that might work. So how'd you get yeah. the the yeah. horse to clear the sample? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you say, <laughs> that first man. The horse to this day still doesn't know that he's on the record. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. No. Well, um, well, not just with music. Um, how did you guys even know? Cause, because movie sound bites are also um, a big part of the the kind of the, the 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 structure here. How did how did you guys even source or even figure out clearing? all of the non-musical elements of the song that had to be clear. Like I'm certain that with movie dialogue or was it just like the wild west? Like if they come to you, then you admit it or <laughs> never mind. This is... <laughs> Please don't incriminate I think... yourself. I think... Never mind. I got my answer. <laughs> this is, 
We're pleading. Uh, this is Quest Love Supreme, not DJ Blast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Don't never compare me to him. Would, oh would you like our, Would you like our answer or the record label's answer? Never mind. I, I just <laughs> never mind. Forget it. <laughs> Forget it. Uh, one uh, One thing I was I was curious to know. Um, for two things. One, um, just the making of a wildflower, because you know I've, we've read a lot, and if you guys have talked a lot about the making of since I left you, wildflower was like other than D'Angelo's Black Messiah. That was those were neck and neck. Those were like my two most anticipated records of that decade. And took just um, as long. It took yeah, just as long. And and I remember it. it you know, I was we've been hearing about it for a while, and I was like, it dropped, and I was like, holy shit, this is really here. And um, you know, it was really inspiring to me because it sounded like you guys picked up like right where you left off. It didn't even you you could listen to since I left you and Wildflower back to back. And uh, aside from the cameos, you know, you would sound like they were done at the same time. So mm-hmm. I was curious to know just uh, you know, working on that record and you know what took so long. A, what took so long from uh, since I left you to Wildflower, and two, uh, the you guys picking your MCs because you really pick, you know, guys that weren't, you know, like you know Danny Brown and Camp Lowe, and you know what I mean. Like you guys work with some kind of unorthodox uh, people. So how do y'all go about choosing that? That I mean, Camp Lowe, that first Camp Lowe uptown yeah. Saturday Night was like yeah. our all-time favorite record. We'll just play that non-stop and some great sampling in that record too so and um, we actually sampled camp low on since i left you so it was really nice to kind of mm-hmm. go full circle and then work with them whenever we played really. live we'd always have a bit where lucini would um come in after a song so we we're massive camp low fans yeah. <laughs> before you answer fonte's question how how did you guys how did you guys deliver the album live like how does that even happen or what's the str- like i only saw you guys when you guys finally came to the tonight show for the wildflower album that's the first time i got to see you like actually perform but when you're when you made since i left you then how do you decide how to deliver this in concert we still when we were touring since i left you we were mm. still like in live band mode because that's we still had that element from you know when we were starting out so we would sort of do like kind of like it was like a big party with live drums and kind of like i don't know bass bass guitar some keys yeah but but most of everything was just like on a on a, a midi keyboard and we'd have the samples that would just be that key chorus <laughs> break horse yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, so it was just triggering yeah. live, and then the the drummer playing li- along to it. So there's no like you know time code or anything into a computer or anything like that when we did tour since I left you. So it was still pretty organic in that way. One of the guys in your band, man, uh, homie, I'm a big fan of uh, Jonty. How did y'all How did y'all hook up? And what's his role in you guys' band? Oh yeah, he was uh, part of our touring group for around the Wildflower era. Mm. We came and did Coachella yeah. and. And we, I think we heard his first EP and it was really cool. And then he did some vocals on Wildflower mm-hmm. and then we we're like, come, come on the road. Yeah. And so he also, he also did a, um, it was a, since I left you, uh, oh. he put a band together of about 15 musicians and played since I left you front to back. Really? And, wow. and did it live around Australia. And we were like, oh, let's, let's go check this out. And 
it was kind of like really weird to just be, you know, we hadn't played. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we hadn't played for so long and we're just like, hey, we should get back on the road and like do this ourselves. (laughs) But it was really, it was really cool to see. And and, um, and from there, I mean, you know, we developed a relationship. Nah, he's he's really dope. I'm a big yeah. fan of his man. Yeah, but what? So, but the the gap between the first album and Wildflower, you know, that 18 years, 16 years, whatever. Um, what <laughs> what happened? I gotta admit, I thought they threw you guys under the jail. I really admit, I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> they got thrown under the jail. <laughs> oh, you don't got our money? Fuck it, y'all go to jail. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's many ways to answer that question, but the short answer is like, at the, was like, you know, you make since I left you with no money, no equipment, you have a success, you get an advance to make your second record, you buy all this equipment, mm. and then, but it doesn't flow and it doesn't happen. Imagine you lost sitting there messing yeah. around with compressors all day and like outboard gear, and we had none of that before, and it took a long time to get back to that point of realizing it's not about that. It's just about mm-hmm. your imagination, a turntable and a sampler. And you can add all that shit later in the studio. But it was like, you've got to write the songs, the beautiful songs first, you know, and all the gear in yeah. the world that help you. But, you know, we were young and we had to learn that ourselves. And now we're back to like, I don't have a studio in my house anymore. Like, I just back to the same simple thing. I started wow. with So you purposely wanted to go back to square one yeah, it took us 16 years to realize that, but, <laughs> but eventually, and, and the thing is, like, like in all honesty, as as the time went on, kind of since I left, you started to grow in stature, so we were, a, a lot of pressure started to build, and then that pressure, you know, came a little bit from the record company, just from fans in general and everything, when's it going to happen, and that got to us. Uh, uh, a lot as well, I think, as it went along, and, and you know, we, and then like Robbie said, we kind of just got back to the essence of what it was all about, and almost just in our own personal journeys, kind of decluttered our minds and stopped with all the pressure within ourselves, and just let go of all that, let go of all the equipment, and from that point, like it didn't take that long at all to finish. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious what. So what equipment did you use for Wildflower and, and the new one specifically? Same, the same? No, we used Pro Tools uh, for this one. We, we were using yeah. Vision for, for Since I Left It, which that program actually, they stopped making it in 1997. So, and, and Robbie was still using that up to 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, if it ain't broke. <laughs> how long did it take you to learn how to master um updated equipment or were you just stubborn like i'll never if it's this or nothing i, I was stubborn for a long time <laughs> I didn't yeah. say that. <laughs> <laughs> but now i'm just like it's pro tools and i just edit in pro tools and it's just like second mm. nature to me again so it's just like it's just like a tape recorder and it reminds me of like when i was like 15 and learning how to make mm. tape loops and stuff you know it's like it's as long as, long as i keep it simple you know i it's, mm-hmm. it's cool so. what what's the what's the, what are the pros and cons to you know in pro tools you're now able to see your music and your samples um and back in the day you couldn't so what what are the advantages and disadvantages to that if any 
that's an amazing question because you're so right. I mean, you can't see the waveforms within a sampler. You know, you don't see, you're just listening and you're kind of like looking at the window almost, you know. So it's just a feeling thing. And it has been a big change because, mm. you know, Pro Tools can grid everything so easily and everything can get tight and like. You can make so many different versions of, of the one song and it's almost like you, you can again get too out of control with mm-hmm. the too limit, many options. Limit, limitlessness of things like Pro Tools and, and even just going back to Wildflower, the way, you know, we used to sample just just pick up a record, put it on, find a sample from it, you know, put a beat, simple like that. But but during Wildflower, we, we just for some reason would go, okay, let's just you know, collect samples. So we just collect samples without like thousands and categorise them without even really making songs. We're just like, we'll do that later. So it almost became like this. Storing. Ad administration process of right. making okay. music. Um, so, so that just the, the limitlessness of that. Sixteen is, years is later, two, we're like, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. Just in the uh, sixteen years, you know, between those records, um, were your what were you guys' main source of income? Like, how was y'all able to stay going for that long? It, it was a struggle, you know, and it's yeah, yeah, not, it's certainly not not what people think. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, being in a band. And, like, for example, the song since I, like, talking about sample clearance, like the song since I left you is, like, I don't own any of it. You know, it's all owned by mm-hmm. samples. So we don't get really royalties to live off. So it was tough. And we would get offers to do some big shows in that time. But we kind of thought, you know, if it gets to, like, 2010 and we haven't put a new record out, we can't. we don't really want to go and do a show because it just seems like we're, and all these uh, rehashing, yeah. yeah. Cards, I mean, you know, you know maxing yeah. out credit, cre- so maxing we, out credit tough. cards. It was tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, were you guys? Did you ever opera consider like just going back to your roots and DJing, like just doing DJ sets as a duo, but without the pressure of here's our new album, that sort of thing. We did that a few times, yeah. and that and that was able to um, to earn us some some income. Okay. Um, we did like a, a a couple of songs for a musical, it was a King Kong musical that was here in, in Melbourne, so that kind of helped. So, and we did have a lot of help from the record company. Right. Who, who had just signed to, so it was like an independent record company who had just like been bought out or half, half, yeah, half bought out by Universal, okay. which has a lot of money. So, so you know, our, our man there, Steve Pav, Steve Pav, would really help us out by constantly asking them if we can have a little bit more and say it's just around the corner, you know, six months away. <laughs> six months later, it'd be the same thing. So Finesse. <laughs> wow. He was wonderful, I, actually. Yeah, yeah, he was really good with all that. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. 
We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa, mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. I always wanted to know. Okay, so I'm I'm not I'm I'm probably closer to to Robbie's theory on kind of staying uh intentionally ignorant to technology so that it doesn't destroy me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't I don't that's my excuse like I don't want to learn all this technology because then I'll lose what I had in my magic period, that sort of thing. But I have to know, um, so when I first saw the demonstration of, I hope I'm saying this right, and I, I prefaced all that to say, like, I, I really don't know the technical terms, but uh, with the program Melodyme, that enables you to sort of, like, erase the DNA of a song. Um, like, if I, I could take a Stevie Wonder song and erase his vocals out of it and make it just an instrumental, that sort of thing. When I first saw that, I saw it at Jazzy Jeff's house. And the first thing I said to him was, yo, like, I can't wait to see what happens when the avalanches get a hold of this machine where they can now really manipulate and bend sounds to the, you know. To or like the y'all on, or like Ableton, like the avalanches with Ableton. It's like, that's fucking scary. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, have you guys even created songs to that level like it's it's weird I, I don't know if someone has fully taken advantage of like it's, it's to me it seems so grandiose and so intimidating that I haven't even I, I think maybe once last year I decided like all right let me let me take the Fender Rhodes from this particular song that I don't have the stems to and see if I could build a song from that but besides that one moment like I I kind of thought it was going to be just a, a a flood of kind of a a return or at least a part two of the sample Wild Wild West that was, you know, 86 to 92, that sort of thing. But what 
this sort of sampling. Have you guys ever been, have you guys even decided or, or considered that level of sampling where you start erasing the DNA of, of samples that exist to create new material? Mm. I hope I asked that question right. Yeah, totally. Okay. Totally did. It, it's, it feels like it's a strange kind of I also of feel like it's a concept. A crime. So a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I feel every time I use it, I asked someone last week to like, you know, pull, uh, you know, extract some vocals from a song, and even then I felt guilty. So my heart wasn't into <laughs> making it. Oh. You know, no, it, it's it's it, it's it'll because it'll start off innocent now with just music, but then who knows like what they'll use it for thirty years from now mm-hmm. with identity theft. So I think. I'm kind of scared of jumping in that pool because I feel like this is the beginning of the danger period. But what is your relationship with that level of, of technology and sampling? I don't think we've thought about it too much. I know we bought Melodyne maybe three years ago and I personally haven't used it once. We were like, yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> I kind of looked at it and went, no, not now. But, uh, but I don't know. I feel like that's kind of in a way dishonoring the sample and the, and the people who played on it. And I, and I don't know, maybe right. that's, if that's just kind of an old fashioned attitude and then the future's just going to be like taking out, you know, Stevie. Stevie so there was never that one song you were like, to- man, if I could just give her the vocals on that. <laughs> well, and just I, use I, I guess we, yeah, we, we try and do that with filters, but um, right. know, yeah. who knows what the future holds. Uh, I don't know how Robbie thinks about that, but. I don't know. Like, I think there's some cool stuff, like what you mentioned, Ableton and stuff, like being able to stretch a sample like a really, really, mm-hmm. really far, way further than we ever could. Like, we've done some of that kind of stuff. But I also love, you know, the art form of like, like say the vocal sample for Since I Left You has got music underneath. We just had to filter it and then I had to chop it very finely, but you can still hear all these little bells and stuff. And right. it all adds to this sort of magic, even though yeah. it's out of tune and stuff. It's like, it's kind of, it's kind of beautiful that way too. You know, I think things would get quite clean and really like pristine sounding if you can like forensically remove elements, but I don't know if it would still have the magic. Yeah. And it'd take away like the layers that you don't necessarily hear, but you feel. And then if you do take them away, you're like, hang on, something's missing here, but I can't tell what it is. Yeah. Yeah, That's the thing with like sample based music. It's just so like, even when like, trying to replace stuff or you know and it's just like dude when you sample something you're not just sampling that song you're sampling that day you're sampling the engineer you're sampling the outboard gear you know there's so many things that made it what it was and when you start manipulating that a lot of times you can't kind of get too far away from home to where you lose the magic yeah Yeah. and and it's like a, a spirit a spirit in the music absolutely yeah, engineers yep. should get paid for samples. Shut up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's real rap. I'm gonna start a start a petition <laughs> on the know. Sugar Network. Hey, uh, oh, yeah. another question I have. Um, I have a theory, but I want to see if I'm correct. Um, what was the what was the inspiration for the Wildflower album cover? It was that Sly Stone cover. I knew it. Yeah. yeah. When, I, <laughs> when I first saw it, I was like, wow, this, when, when literally when I first saw it, I was like, wow, like in an alternative world where Sly was, was happy with his life 
<laughs> and everything was going swimmingly, this would have been the album cover to There's a Ride Going On. Yeah. And yeah. I always, wow, okay. That That's amazing. That's it. Yeah. And we actually got it, uh, found a world quilting champion who she lives in Nebraska <laughs> and she quilted that cover for us and we just took a photo of it. So we wanted it to look real like the Sly cover, you know. Wow. So that's she an actual quilt. Made yeah, she, she made it. Yeah, that? that's a quilt. What? Oh, shit. No, I thought it was animated. You see? Oh, my God. You're right. I'm yeah. looking at it right now. Who, wow. who has one of y'all original? own it? I'm about to say, yeah, who got it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he still sleeps with it on his bed you do <laughs> congratulations robbie i will be coming there for it <laughs> yo man i wanted to ask y'all um on the on the new record man bruh where did y'all find terrence trent darby yo <laughs> like oh, for real dude. i mean he's sananda sananda montreal that's you know what yeah. he goes by he's been going by for the past few years but uh yeah how I did was you find so him? happy I can't remember how we got in touch, but we had this song and Tony and myself and our, our collaborator on this record, Andy, it was like this beautiful piece of music. We had this Vashti Bunyan vocal and it was honestly not going to make the record because it was like there's just no voice that can, mm. that can fit. And I can't remember one day it was Tony and myself, we just had this idea and we were like we wonder if we could ever get in touch with him or if he would know who we are and, somebody got in touch with Sananda and it's been honestly the most incredible, one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. He's the warmest. I was afraid of the answer. I didn't know. No, <laughs> yeah, no, he is incredible. Incredible. He's been so open-hearted and just so generous with his time. That's probably the most beautiful thing that like people just don't dial in a vocal and here you go. It's like so generous with their time to go back and forth and really Get something that feels like it was meant to be there, you know. His so y'all actually track that together. Y'all track that together, or was would he track he, it on his side? On yeah, his he side. tracked it on on his side. But there was a lot of back and forth with emails and stuff. And and his his emails are an absolute joy to read. It's <laughs> it, it, it is he's so eccentric, but smart and expressive in his emails, and he's just a, a like Robbie go, we got a new email from Sanandra, and I go, send it, I want to read it. It's like a highlight. <laughs> it was so it was amazing to read. And then poetry, really you know, beautiful. Yeah. Real poetry. And just listening to his voice, it's like it is one of the great voices, in my opinion, of all time. Straight it up. Is, still. It is still incredible. Like I listen to that song and I still just go, what? A vocal performance it's yeah. incredible incredible so on the other side i guess maybe the, the to the polar opposite, the of opposite. That, or tricky what was that like <laughs> working with him that was I, I love him man i, I love well, yeah. actually actually we should have mentioned when we we're talking about 90s sample music too like mm. his first record massive attack like, oh yeah max and kaya yeah, yeah yeah exactly and so that that was stuff that was filtering through to us from from england at the time too so it was like he was one of our heroes you know and and the massive attack records and he was in berlin making a record he's he just put that record out last year it's a really great uh -huh. record and he yeah, was yeah. just mm. like I happen to be in the studio right now. What have you got? And we would just send him a song, the first song. The next morning, you know, came back with full lyrics. And, and, and then he was like, that was great. Send me another one. And we ended up, that went on for like two weeks. We did like eight songs together. 
<laughs> and and then we got like a message from his management to our management who didn't know anything about this and they were like are you guys recording together what you've made half a record what's going on like we need to do some paperwork or something <laughs> but um yeah that was he was like just he was on a hot streak making that record so he was like anything you can send me i'm on fire at the moment Wow. And and it is so good when it's when it's just the artist to artist as well, and it's not going through. So was, you know the, the management yeah, obviously didn't know it was happening or, or whatever, and mm-hmm. we were just doing our own thing without all that. And and it's that, that's you know such a rewarding relationship for us to kind of you know have that situation with people we grew up listening to and our heroes and everything. And and I think you get it's just so much of a more pure product when it's not you know through their people through their people and. All that stuff. Yeah, like you guys, the people y'all pick, man. I, you know, I can't front. Like it is pretty much. I mean, it's it's like a dream. You know, just just me being just the music nerd that I am. Like the people you get on every record, I'm like, yo, like that was a perfect fit. And when I saw that it was, you know, Terrence Trent Darby, he was on this one, and then Tricky. But when I saw that y'all got fucking Cornelius, I was like, yo, dude, like. Yeah, they've been in my iTunes or some shit. Like, y'all must know. Oh. Like, what was? I'm like, dude, they, they picking all my guys. So, what, what what was he like, man? What was it? What was it like working with him? Well, I don't, I don't know what to say about Kago. Really, he's like, he's a dear friend, and we met him like in 2001 or something because he put out mm-hmm. that album, Phantasma. Phantasma. Yeah. And we were making since I left you, listening to that album, just going, "This mm-hmm. is yeah." Like, Mike wow. check. That was my and shit. Then, you know, the, my check exactly, yeah, the yeah, peaks, yeah. but it's kind of like Disney. One, two, music three, well. four, five, yeah. six, like, seven. One, two, yeah. three, four, five. Yeah, exactly. Yes, because Tokyo is only like same time zone as here in ten hours. We go a lot to DJ, and so we've become friends over the years. And he'll always show us like record stores and everything. He's the this sweetest guy. And then um, he just happened to be in Los Angeles doing a show when we were there recording. So that song just came about like. And it was Robbie's birthday, birthday at the time. Yeah. But the recording, <laughs> recording with him was... Happy birthday. The recording with him was so incredible, the process, because we kind of had the, the beat just going and he just had a guitar there and he'd be like, all right, let's do some takes and just, you know, and it'd just uh, roll around. And so we'd sit there and go... That's it? Then the next take. And then it just all started layering up. That you go, that we're all like, okay, okay. And then towards the end, everyone's like, oh, we understand now. Like, so he had this whole thing in his head that was like 12 layers of different guitar tracks that he was just like making. And it just, that, I mean, that's how the yeah. song came about. No, just, that's him. Yeah, that, that's so incredible to watch. It was so yeah. impressive. Phantasma, like Phantasma, like Phantasma, like that fucked me up when I heard it. And then the one that, like, when I, I think it was after I graduated college, when he came with Point. Like I played, yeah. I still play that record. Like you know, I love that album, man. He's he's a nut. I love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I ask, uh, what was it like working with uh, Johnny Moore? That, that um, was another one that was done remotely, um, but I still remember the morning actually. That um, you didn't get the nerd out on any Smith's questions, or oh my goodness, I I, I think <laughs> we would have overwhelmed him. I think. Yeah. yeah when he when he came to sit in with us like i think we i that's probably the only time like we really nerded out on like tell us more stories you know that's what yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. 
but, but we actually met, we, we saw him even before we approached him to, to play on the track. Uh, we were like, he was at the next table at us at Fuji Rock Festival, like just backstage. And we we're both just going, go up to him and ask him. No, you go up. Come on, say something. Ask if he wants to be in. <laughs> and we did meet for about 15 minutes. We tried to psych each other up to go up to him. And in the end, we were just like, no, we can't do it. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we got in contact eventually and he was, he was really great. And he actually sent us a message after the Divine Core, which is the song he's on. It, it kind yeah. of got some play in England. And he's like, thanks, guys. My kids think I'm cool again now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> nice. Hey, have you guys even considered or thought, thought about releasing, like, all instrumental versions of the last two records? No. Just for the Avalanche Purist or whatever, like, just to, to hear it. Because sometimes I, you know, I, I know that, you guys are going through a progression and you're the, the, you know, the, the metamorphosis of the group sort of blooming, but so there are no, just, there's not an instrumental mixed version of, of, of any of the, of any of this stuff out there. No, no, but we have them. We have, we have them. them. Yeah. I think everything <clears throat> we, we do, we, we do, Sorry. we can, we can, Send them over. Send it to me. Okay, great, 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 great. <laughs> right. That's that really what the fuck you wanted to ask. <laughs> exactly. Is that what this interview's about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, just want to see the. Now, um, will you do you do you guys ever think that you'll try to do another all instrumental um, project? As I far as I know, so. you're probably working on something now, and I just don't yeah, know, we're but. starting another yeah. now. I think yeah, because it's just like. I mean, working with vocalists like that for us is almost like it's still, you know, an act of curation and almost sampling in a way. But I, I mm. feel like we're, we're, we're making a slight turn back towards just a sample-based mm. record. Ooh, well, well, whatever, whatever the next record is, I'm putting my beard in. I won't in on that motherfucker. So <laughs> I'm, I'm late. Same. Hey, hey listen, man. Even if it's drums. just an interlude, just talking. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Let's do it. Man, I'm... Dude, I, I almost feel like I, this. This is probably the least that I've I've inserted questions in an interview, only because I feel like every question that I want to know the answer to is almost like inconsequential. Like just okay, that particular snare that you use on this song versus uh, the frog noises <laughs> from this thing. Wait, I do I do want to know who who uh, decides the concept for your videos. Man, especially with Frankie Sinatra, like, or just all your videos. All your videos are just some next level shit. Like, who who comes with those concepts? Oh, it's it's mainly mm. the the video people. So we get we get pitched some things, and then we kind of I guess just pick the craziest one. <laughs> really? Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I was Frankie Sinatra. I met. Oh, I hope this doesn't sound bad, but. We, we actually had a Zoom or a, a Skype with the, the producers who were going to be shooting the video and they were French and, uh, like, we struggled to understand what. You're just like, uh, do whatever you want to do, guys. You're French. So we were you know like, you're okay, doing. it kind of sounds good. But they seem like lovely people, so we were they like, okay. They so sweet. And and the lady had this beautiful voice. It was almost like a movie. Like, I was just, my song was with And we were like, oh, what? Cool. Okay, this, yeah, whatever. This sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Can I ask one more question? Mm -hmm. uh, um, so 
in messing with loops and samples and beats and and things like movie dialogue and and horses and everything that you that you end up creating your music uh with um how often do you go in with with an idea i'm going for something specific but then as quest 11 i and oh, constantly talking about um yeah some kind of happy accident happens and ends, yeah. ends up something being better than your original idea or different and um how often does that play into what we hear in the final product it happens all the time really that's almost the whole thing like you know <laughs> like i can we, we, we will talk about like where we want to try and go next but you but you can't predict the mood you're going to be in and the record you're going to be sampling at that time and maybe just one little like bit of atmosphere at the end of someone's song or something it's like and you're just in the right mood to hear yeah. how you could flip that moment and you know? that's and the then catalyst if, or yeah, like and, uh, if you put something if you put something um in the wrong spot and then you know right. if you put it a, a beat behind or something and suddenly you're a, a rhythmic genius Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's also like our friendship too. It's like having to be able to tell each other that, you know, that thing you made yesterday morning in five minutes is like, is better than the thing you sp spent a month on when you had this big concept. And, you know, it's like, it, yeah, you just captured some magic there. And that's, yeah. we should roll with that, you know. And I think that was, that was also part of Wildflower too is like that magic of the five minute finding the great loop and everything. And then we would just layer and layer and layer. And in the end, the, the initial thing is like this much of something that's like that. And then we, like we went through a process towards the end of, of you know, making it where we just took a lot of that away and this started to shine again. Hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. That's so dope. Um, Kurt Vile, man. Uh, I want, how did y'all hook up with him? His record, uh, he's all right. That's like, I love that song and I always dug him. How did y'all hook up? It was that was like the last song we finished for the record, mm. and once again, it was a beautiful piece of music. But we just and I, I just play his records like all the time, so mm -hmm. huge fan. And um, we just reached out. He's Philly, he's Philly. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say he's from uh, my town. We just reached out on Instagram, and he was like down for it. Oh, I think he might have meant messaged us about something else in the past, and then we're like, we've got this song, and um, yeah, he just did this beautiful kind of like poetic rambling spoken word thing. That was beautiful. I still remember the day that that arrived. Actually, it was like <laughs> really yeah. I, I like. I remember the day that that Robbie played it to me after he put the vocals into the track, and we'd had that track for a long time. And it was just kind of like, what? What do we do with it? Like, is it a melodic kind of thing? And then he played me the thing that Kurt did, and I was just like, play it again. And he played <laughs> it again. And I just went, that's done. That's perfect. That that's yeah. exactly what it. You know, just one of those things where you're like, you don't have to um and ah about it. It's like, oh, do mm. we have to change it around a little bit, or maybe if we cut this bit, of, perfect. It just it felt so good, and it was just like, that's it. That that's done. Yeah. What made y'all come back? Because I'm be real with you, I was surprised to see that we got an Avalanche's album in 2020. Because after Wildflower, I was expecting, all right, well, it'll be another 10 years before we get up. <laughs> I, I was ready to wait it out, but y'all came back. I was like, all right, um, what what led to the, I guess, the quicker turnaround in records? Like, where are y'all at now in your lives where y'all can kind of turn around a little quicker? I think we were just freed up from the long 16 years. You know, we felt the pre pressure to follow pressure. up since I left mm -hmm. you. And, it, and, and mm -hmm. then once we made another really great, 
sample-based record in Wildflower that we felt like, you know, that that was a really worthy follow-up to Since I Left You. We just felt free and, you know, mm. we just got back to the very simple flow of creating and not overthinking and it's just flowing really quickly. We've already got a bunch more songs as well. And, yeah. um, and, and it's, it's, so, it's so fun to be a, an actual touring band and not, you know, broke musicians in our houses working on a record for 16 years. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. we play Coachella and we're doing Glastonbury and we're like, what? We should have been doing this 10 years ago. So, <laughs> so it's, it's that, like that's inspiration for us. And, and Bring you know, me my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Wait, my, my last uh, question about uh, a guest on your record. Um, it, what was the process of like working with uh, Rivers Cuomo? Yeah, I was yeah, Weezer, yeah. And did you did yeah. you resist any uh Pinkerton fan out uh moments or just you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so cool. And I think yeah. you know, we grew, grew up loving like, you know, if you, we have a love for like the Beach Boys and he's someone who I can hear that in his music and he's like can write such an amazing yeah. pop hook. Yeah, you know, and uh, I mean, Tony can tell the story, but we, I think we'd already tracked the song, and then he was in Melbourne. Did we meet him beforehand, Tony? Or after? no, he so he'd sent us like the the vocal, so he had like sent a spreadsheet with three different lyric lyric paragraphs. He had spreadsheets like, of all his hooks, like yeah. just in wow, a spreadsheet wow. laid out, and, 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 and he was like, choose one. Talent. Choose one. We're like, <laughs> we're like, but, but we we need to hear the melodies. Like, oh, we want to hear how it goes. So he's like, okay, and he he sent the melodies for for each you know little lyric thing he had. And so he and we just sent like, you a whole bunch of hooks, and you could choose one. He sent he yeah. sent three. No one does that. Like, <laughs> no, not at all. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so in the end, we were just like, they're all really good. Can we have them all? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, I mean, we worked them all into the into the track eventually, mm-hmm. and and you know, like the outro and the verse and the chorus, and so that that made up the three different things. But and so we ended up meeting him in Melbourne, and like they were out, they were supporting the Foo Fighters at like a big stadium, and we're like, okay, we'll we'll go. So Robbie and I spent a day like looking at all the coolest bars to take him in in Melbourne, and you know, you want to impress him and do all these really cool things, and. In the end, it was raining, and all he wanted to do was like, we got some umbrellas from the hotel. He just wanted to walk around the city in the rain. <laughs> and then we stopped at a Starbucks and had a coffee and spoke for about an hour, <laughs> and then went back to the hotel. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I guess we won't be going to this cool bar where there's like, you know, all the right. girls and all this crazy shit going on. We'll, we'll just sit in Starbucks. But in that way, it was like perfect. Well, actually, wait, uh, speaking of your Beach Boys fandom, Assuming, assuming that the woman who uh, worked with you for sample clearances is the same lady that cleared the samples for uh, Paul's Boutique, I don't know which album she did it for, but I would assume it's Paul's Boutique because there's a lot of samples. Are, were you guys even aware of Brian Wilson's hip-hop album that was produced by the Dust Brothers? The is world this a question? does not you, know about this are you serious um yeah so uh i guess the the story is that um you know at, i mean at the time when the beastie boys first signed the capital i guess uh brian wilson had gotten a copy of paul's boutique and was kind of impressed because they explained to him like how the album was made and how all these samples and that sort of thing he was really impressed by it 
so he hit up the Dust Brothers and said, um, I I too want to do uh an album. And he wound up making uh I think they made like five or six songs together. And one of them I think was called Smart Girls or whatever. But it's it's now like, this is Brian he rapping or it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just Oh yeah. boy. I think if you YouTube if you <laughs> if you YouTube no. it no, <laughs> I'm gonna check this out. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, wait. I, no, you're, messing almost, with, I, you're messing with me. No, I, no, 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 no. Because no. the thing is, is that every time I tell the story, I'm like, wait a minute. I know, I know for starters that I actually talked to Brian Wilson about this in person, and I talked to the Dust Brothers. But even in my mind, I'm like, wait, did I imagine that? But. Um, <laughs> It's no. It doesn't seem real. <laughs> wait, is it still on on YouTube? Yeah, he he did it. He did a song. Okay, so Smart Girls. Yeah, Smart Girls. Uh, Capital rejected the album, but it's still out there. It's it came out in 1991, and um, yeah, Matt Matt Dyke, like the the yeah 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 the, those those guys produced it, and um, yeah, it was it was the Brian Wilson. <laughs> Rap album. It was called Sweet Insanity. Yeah, it's I've never that, heard that, that in my that, life. That, that's a, that seems like a fitting title for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, uh, guys, I, I, I just want to say, um, just, you know, like I, I try to keep my cool with, with guests, you know, half the time on this platform. But yeah, man, I, I want to thank you guys personally because I, I will say that in hearing your record, that's what really planted the seed in my head on how my DJ gigs should go because I just never thought, I mean, yeah, like I, again, I was raised on that certain bomb squad type of hip hop that anything could go. But when, when, when I heard this album, that's when I realized like, Oh, anything can really happen in a DJ set in a sort of a creative context. So I, I will say that after hearing your album and I, I guess I heard it in 2000, 2001, like that's when I just totally wiped the slate clean of what was current, what was then my DJ sets. And my whole goal was like, well, I'm just do what the avalanches do and just throw any and everything in my DJ set, be it, something normal something off kilter something unorthodox something you know just i i thank y'all for that like you guys were definitely the impetus to like my 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 dj rebirth that i've been running away with like for the last 20 years man but you yes. you guys are 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 are, are true geniuses man I, I thank you for doing the show with us oh man. thank you that's really thank kind. You so much Thanks. this, is, nah, this, is, for having this has been yeah this has been so fun Oh, thanks. Thanks. Really. All right. Well, are are you done? Uh, oh, I was just gonna ask. Um, I guess my last thing. Um, uh, the other artists, like kind of soul artists in uh in you guys' region. So yeah, Australia. So like, I'm thinking. Um, of course, Highest Coyote. Um, uh, Fat Freddy's Drop. I know they're kind of more of a ska uh kind of band. Lisa could call. Like, what relationship do you have with? that community um the the soul you know i guess r&b community um what's that like well 
we're we're just like kind of a couple of, of old men who like <laughs> meet each other on the park bench every day and talk about the weather or whatever. Like we don't like. I guess we're often traveling, but we're kind of not really like out and about on the scene. Yeah. <laughs> on the scene, yeah. Except that, uh, except to say that there is just like it's just a very warm music community here in Melbourne. Yeah. Everybody's very supportive. I think it's maybe because it's so geographically isolated. It's like there's there's just like um, it's very supportive anyway. We always feel very supported. That's what's up. Yeah, Steve. Last uh, words. Yeah, you left me out of the Michelle Obama episode and the Jimmy oh, Fallon come on, episode man. as well. Anyway. Great callback. Great callback, Steve. On, on behalf of Questlove Supreme, Fonticolo, and Steve, we'd like to thank the Avalanches uh, for for kicking it with us. Oh, my God. That's yeah, straight. man. This was, I never thought, yeah, I, I'm, I've, I don't think I ever read an interview with y'all, let alone, you know what I'm saying, half interview. Yeah. So this was this was a dream come true, man. Thank you guys for oh, hanging man. out. Oh, Thanks for so us, so. This, Yeah, seriously, it's been so much, so good, so much fun. All right. Thank, Thank you, guys. Well, so much. Thank you, guys. On behalf of uh, Fontiglo, uh, Unpaid Bill, and Laia, and Sugar and, uh, Steve, Questlove, and this is Questlove Supreme. We will see you next week. Let's go around. Thank you. Hey, this is Sugar Steve. Make sure you keep up with us on Instagram at QLS. And let us know what you think and who should be next to sit down with us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.